With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SP Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week once again is Greg Karam. Greg, the Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here, or ARG, was this past weekend, and a good time was had by all. But if you could invite, or bring as a plus one, a famous person to the ARG, who would it be and why? You know, it's, it, it depends on how you want to define what, who a famous person is. You know, I, I think I we should probably uh, <laughs> go with no actual Mets for this okay. purposes, well, just because it's like, it would be kind of awkward if we're sitting there, you know, slagging on <laughs> Wilmer Flores in front of like Wilmer Flores, or I keep saying as the evening wears on more and more outlandishly positive things about Dilson Herrera in front of Daniel Murphy or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to, if I'm hanging out, I want to be able to talk baseball. So if I want to do it like with someone within the organization who's kind of famous to do it, with, I'll, I'll invite Paul DePodesta because I feel like he'd be a fun guy to talk to. But if I want to get a little bit more creative with that, 
then I want to invite some Met fans. And so maybe I'll invite a guy like Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock or, or, or like a Louis C.K. I think those guys are Mets fans. I think that would be they would be fun to talk uh, Mets baseball about. Also, we Louis, can try to convince. Uh, isn't what? Louis a Red Sox fan because he grew up in Boston? I don't know. I don't know. I saw him at a game. I guess he was just there with Chris Rock. But we could entirely also possible. Try- we could also try to convince them to get combine their forces and uh, you know try to buy out the win. So that, that's an added bonus. I don't think Louis C.K. has that much money. Well, Jerry Seinfeld. Probably Jerry Seinfeld does. does. Yeah, he can he could easily afford to buy the Mets probably. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, I went in a slightly different direction, as I am wont to do, and I am going with German film director Werner Herzog. Just, just, just to hear him speak. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that too. I think he has a he would have an interesting perspective on sports fandom and Met, and Mets fandom in general. He's lived an interesting life. I think he would just be very quiet, and then occasionally he would just like break in with these sort of profound, very profound, yeah, things to say about the nature of you know faith <laughs> and humanity and <laughs> that's actually pretty existence, good. yeah. Who just sit there quietly? He'd just be like smoking a cigar too, even though it, there's no you can't smoke in bars in New York City, and no one would say anything to him because he's Werner Herzog. Is there like an essential, like Herzog, like film that I should see? Um, beyond like the the most recent ones that I that have been out. What was his? Well, he was involved in what? Uh, well, he did some documentaries recently, like Grizzly Man. Yeah, I think he was involved in that uh, Indonesian film too. Mm. But I don't know how involved. Um, I I would say, um, if you want sort of like Herzog Kinski era films, start with Fitzcarraldo. If you want sort of documentary Herzog, start with uh, Little Dieter Learns to Fly. Little Dieter Learns to Fly. Okay, I'll, I'll write that down. But yeah, I just like, and also you're getting drinks with Werner Herzog, which is, yeah, I assume, an experience. it just end with one of us having like a leg wound <laughs> in some like random neighborhood in New Jersey at three in the morning after we wandered out onto the streets after a few too many. All right. No idea how we got it. <laughs> it's episode 103 of Amazing Avenue Audio. Uh, I think I'm I'm gonna start doing away with naming episodes. At it, this point, uh, you're out of years. Yeah, it's just know. I mean I could do like 2003, which I don't remember all that well. I'm sure stuff happened. It was just like a bad art how team. Yeah. But right didn't come up until the next year. The Casimir trade wasn't until the next year. We're past Operation Shutdown. I don't remember much about the 2003 Mets. I'm not gonna lie. I wonder who their best player is. Let's find out. This feels like it's one of those years where Steve Traxel was their best player. Who's three? 69 and 92. Or sorry, that was their Pythagorean record. 66 and 95, last in the NL East. Still Steve Phillips. Oh, man. Wow. Lot of Joe McEwing at bats. Lot of Raul Gonzalez at bats. Uh, Jeff Duncan. This outfield is not good. Bad Roger Cedeno. Yeah, this is a, a time in my life when I was not very concerned with how the Mets were doing. 
Jason, no, Cliff Floyd was their best hitter that year. Cliff Floyd and then Jason Phillips. Piazza looks like he was hurt a bunch because he only played 68 games. I remember so little of this season. Yeah, Steve Traxel was their best pitcher. 188 innings from Jay Wong So. Jay Wong So had a 3.82 ERA that year, and he was 10% better than league average. come a long way times have changed times have changed oh let's take a quick look at war here yeah cliff floyd and jose reyes the best two mets position players reyes did that in 69 games and was basically a league average hitter it was when he was having of course his constant leg problems he came up 2002 briefly maybe that was his first season it's a wild team because like nobody played a lot of games yep yep steve traxel most uh, unsurprisingly Steve Jackson threw 200 innings of 3.96 um, run average per nine ball and was worth almost four and a half wins. Wow. Because the average pitcher, my favorite like little RA9 average stat from baseball reference, the average pitcher pitching in front of that Mets defense against those teams and those stadiums would have had an ERA of over five. <laughs> I think last year it was like 3.6. It's literally like a run and a half less a game 12 years ago. Yeah, it's no no offense in baseball. We know that all too well. That's our little stroll down memory lane because we don't have much else to talk about. Um, later in the show, David Roth will make a triumphant return. As we start to get in towards um, preview season, like 2015 previews. We do them every year. You know, we'll go position by position in the coming weeks leading up to opening day take a look at your 2015 Mets really break it down give our predictions and whatnot but I think we're gonna David and I will sort of give you an overview of how you can emotionally prepare yourself intellectually prepare yourself for the 2015 Mets season we may talk about Christmas movies too we'll see how things go we generally do have trouble staying on the the beaten path when he comes on we also will answer your emails later in the show we have some emails but we'll kick things off. Um, episode 100 was very famously subtitled Max Scherzer is not a Met. I have a feeling episode 103 will be subtitled James Shields is not a Met because James Shields is not a Met, Greg. Yes. Signed for a very reasonable deal. with Very reasonable. Four with years the, uh, of the team option. With the, you know, the large market San Diego Padres. James Shields is a really good pitcher. And look, I know. The Mets pitching staff is not a weakness per se. Every team can use James Shields on a four-year deal. Every team. Yeah. Last, especially, you know, we talk about the Mets. Matt Harvey on an innings limit. Jacob deGrom will probably be on some sort of innings limit. You know, Zach Wheeler has his um, stamina issues. Hasn't thrown 200 innings in a season yet. John Neese pitched the entire last season with his uh, with a shoulder that felt like there were knives sticking in it every time. Yeah. And Bartolo Colon's great. But the last four years, James Shields has thrown 249, 227, 228, and 227 innings in the American League. 
Yeah, and his, the Zips projections on him for the next five years are actually pretty nice, too. They got him throwing 800 more innings and being worth about three, three and a half wins a year. It's just, he's I a mean, good pitcher. Yeah, it's a good pitcher, and it's an upgrade over what the Mets have at the back end of their rotation. Because it's an upgrade over what every team has in the back end of their rotation. Now, is it the best way to spend their money that they don't have, so this is all a moot point? No. But there's a good chance James Shields is the best pitcher on the 2015 Mets. He won't be on the 2015 Mets, but if he were... Like, he's a really good pitcher. He's one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball. And yes, a lot of that is due to the fact that he throws 220 innings every year. Guess what? Durability is wildly undervalued when we talk about starting pitchers. Yeah. And this is durability at a well above average uh, rate. Well above average performance rate. Now, great. Yeah, he's pitched in good run environments in front of good defenses. Guess what? City Field with Juan Lagares in center field in the National League in 2015, all those things apply. All of them. You know, Dylan G, John Neese, Bartolo Colon, all had those same advantages over the last few years. Have not pitched as well as James Shields. And the issue it comes in when you sort of look at Zips projections or Pakoda. You know, we can talk about, and we'll talk about it later in the show, how much Again, how much stock we want to put in them. But on team-wide, you know, all these projection systems sort of peg the Mets in 2015, where I think our eyeballs do. is like a 80 to 85 win team. Low 80 wins. Is that fair? Yeah, I think maybe 85 is pushing a little bit much. but Sure, yeah. 85 at the high end, 78 at the low end, let's say. Yeah, sure. Sure, sure. I mean, the levels of precision here. For stuff like that, when you get into playing time and everything else, gets a little dicey. And a lot of other teams are in that range. Oh, the Padres, who ended up signing him. The Pirates. The Giants are probably a little bit towards the top end of that range, but still in that range. The Cubs. The Marlins. Every win, additional win you can extract from the 2015 Mets, every upgrade you can make, even if it's only, you know, two wins over Bartolo Colon or John Neese instead of, you know, the four wins that Tulowitzki, a healthy Troy Tulowitzki, might bring you over Flores at all. Those wins are so incredibly valuable when you have that, when you're in that range of true talent level. Yeah. But and, you know, you the Padres, the Padres getting him, that's a big get for them. And what's a very deal. reasonable deal? He got $20 million more than Urban Santana. Yeah, that's going to, I mean, that bumps up their projection. I saw BP now has them as the first wildcard team. Yeah, and again, there's, the error bars there are huge, but that kind of stuff makes a difference. And yeah, we know they don't have the money. And it's, it gets to the point where it's just like, why do we keep having this conversation? We had it with Max Scherzer. We had it with Troy Tulowitzki earlier in the offseason. You know, we've had it with every single player who could help the 2000. 13 Mets, 2014 Mets, 2015 Mets. That's how long this podcast has been going. But that would cost a significant amount of money. I mean, he got $10 million more than Curtis Granderson. And yes, it's difficult to compare off-seasons. You know, budgets are different, especially with the Mets. It seems like it's a moving target. But I would absolutely, every day of the week, rather have uh, Shields on that deal than Granderson on his. Yeah. He got half as much as John Lester. He's been a better pitcher. And yes, he's a little bit older, but he's not that much older. And 
you know, he has a skill set that should age okay in the right ballpark. San Diego's a great place for him, too, but... You know, he's cut his strikeouts, he's cut his walks, his home run rates are pretty steady. So he is a little dependent on balls in play, but again, you know, a fly ball pitcher, fastball changeup guy in, in city field, with Juan Lagares in center field, there are worse places to pitch. Alright, let's put it this way. Would you, the hypothetical situation, would you rather not sign Kadire, trade Dylan G, sign James Shields? Yes. You can find, as this offseason proved, you can find a corner guy on the market reasonably cheap. You know, yeah. they, they, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you, you saw some of the guys that got traded. Yeah, Will Myers, you know. Uh, you know, Upton and Hayward, who aren't cheap, mind you, but didn't go for a ton. Kind of like Michael Saunders. That Michael Saunders. My, my AAOP. He was in your AAOP. <laughs> now, those guys were available past... You know, the last day to accept qualifying offers when they signed Kadire. And you know what? Honestly, worse comes to worse. I wouldn't want it as my plan A necessarily, but a strict Kirk Newenheist, John Mayberry Jr. platoon, it gets you close. 75-80% of what a healthy Kadire gives you. Okay, there's there's some downside risk there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not there's some downside risk with Kadire. He may not play. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Uh, we might see what that hypothetical outfielder uh, outfield position would look like. But you're still giving up a first round pick either way. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I mean, in this case, if well, they had done if they had done both, which we know they can't afford to do, they would have only given up a second round pick for Shields, which makes it even more of a no brainer to me at least. The thing is, is like this this offseason that the Padres have done, and it's it's an extreme example. But it just goes to show that, I mean, you can rework your roster based on you know trades and and working free agency and doing things like like what the Mets basically had at their disposal this year in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, they haven't had as much financial uh, flexibility. As they have led on to us, you know, led us to believe. But they had major league assets that they could have. If you haven't read it, you should read James K's piece that went up this morning. Oh yeah. On financial That's flexibility great. and what it actually means, because I don't know either. That no, was great. But like they had, they've had pieces. They have major league pieces even now. It's just you know they're they're not the high end guys. They're not you know they're guys on one year deals and they're Dylan G's and they're John Nieces and they have their flaws. But like. You can move these guys. You can you can get things back for them. So I mean, I'm just. I guess and, what I'm trying to say is that I, I, you know I'm growing a little frustrated. You know, with with the Mets situation, their continued rhetoric from the front you know front office about you know payroll flexibility and, and you know the, the supposed reasons for their lack of action. Um, it's just frustrating. I expected more from them this offseason, and, and each day that nothing happens, you know, I just. And nothing's gonna happen, so it just it just feels it just it's wearing me down. And for what it's worth, looking at Cots, depending on how they they deal with Shields' uh, contract in terms of you know just what what it is year over year, how much they backloaded, etc. They're gonna come in a little over a hundred million dollars for 2015 payroll. It's going to be more than the Mets, which is its own issue, but it's not going to be like they 
broke the bank to put this team together. Right. I mean, they still have a pretty crappy infield, but they have other pieces. And and also in signing Shields, um, as I was reading, you know, Keith Law's piece uh, uh, breaking down the deal, and you know, they have a ton of starting pitching asset. Uh, starting pitcher uh, that, that could pitch next year. So now they have these extra assets that they could use to, you know, do more stuff, bring in more, more players, you know, it's it, having more, you know, assets is better than having less assets. Put it that way. It gives you more flexibility, flexibility. There it is. again. And yeah, they're unlikely to catch the Dodgers from the Mets. If they had signed James Shields are unlikely to catch the Nats at this point, you know, you're just trying to, get your you know your 50th percentile projection as high as you can because yeah i mean even the difference between the nationals and the mets on a true talent level could be wiped out by 162 games of whatever you know massive you know 2009 mets level injuries to the nationals huge breakouts from mets pitchers it can happen but it's not likely it's not about the idea is like you just sort of build an 84 win team and hope some stuff breaks right like why build an 88 win team and hope nothing goes wrong or nothing catastrophic goes wrong yeah. do what the nationals did build a 90 something win team and give yourself some cushion if some catastrophic things go go wrong and it's not just yeah. the mets i see teams all over baseball doing this like where were the red Sox? given I, what yeah. their starting pitching is looks like in a year where they want to be competitive the cubs i think every team could use james shields on that deal it would have taken more to get him away from san diego obviously um because yeah he wants to live in, in southern california i understand that right so it, it in order to get him you may have had to you're definitely gonna have to pump up the aav or you're gonna have to give him the fifth year which is a little dicey I mean, he's 33 years old no i don't disagree with that but it's like you do what you have to do to get the guy that you want. Get I, I made a joke on Twitter a few weeks ago that we need sort of we all look at like dollars per war and surplus value and you know massaging teams' true talent levels to sort of get them into contention, but not really necessarily go for it because that might be taking on too much risk for you know certain writers on the internet. Um, but when it comes down to it, we need like some we need we need like baseball's Alistair Crowley. Get good players, shall be the whole of the law. Just get good players. Get James Shields. He's really good. There is no team where James Shields is not an upgrade over one of your five pitchers. Yeah. Well Fortunately debate over this is, is made you know, rendered moot because uh, we do not have the assets to go after something like this. So it's just, you know. Well, I mean, it's frustrating, too, because you look at it as we start to get into the season previews. Yeah, the Mets have a shot at the playoffs. Or they certainly have a good shot to be in contention in the middle of July. And stuff like this just makes you wonder you know, if Troy Tulowitzki is available in July and Wilmer Flores is hitting 240 with limited secondary skills... Do they have the wherewithal, whether it's you know financial or you know the front office, front office having the stomach to trade a top end prospect to go out and make that improvement that will put them over the top? 
at a certain point, you have to stop betting on, you know, internal improvements because there's only so high that ceiling is. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the situation that it is. You know, that's the thing. It's, we don't know what the numbers are for their payroll, what they have at their disposal. So we're left here in the dark and they just keep feeding us BS. And you know, it's, it's just, there's no way to break it down, you know, just to, other than to look at what they've done with their payroll. And it's just, you know, it's pitiful. I think the most sort of telling quote I've seen about it, uh, DJ Short of Hardball Talk uh, tweeted out a quote from John Recco, oh, yeah. who's been there a while. I mean, he's, he's two administrations now. He's been in that organization for probably a decade now, maybe more. Um, you know, the day of the Kadir signing, this is an indication, I think, that we're going to be aggressive this offseason. And you know what? You don't give that quote as a front office guy on the record unless at the time you have every reason to believe it. So I don't even know what they're being told on a day-by-day basis. I mean, I guess the one positive you can take away from all of this is that Mets' ownership probably isn't tone-deaf enough to send a Email to a long-term fan accusing them of being an alcoholic, maybe? It's like the battle of the worst owner in New York. Oh, sexual harassment? Okay, I'll one-up you. Really I mean, James Dolan already has that in his hip pocket anyway, so... That's true, actually, right? <sighs> On that cheery note, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, David Roth and I will talk about the 2015 Mets season and maybe some Christmas movies. Joining the show now to sort of kick off, in a way, our 2015 Mets season previews that'll run over the next couple of months. He's a contributing editor at Vice Sports, David Roth. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, as is, I mean, I would say as is tradition. This is like your second guest spot, but as we did previously, um, what movie have you seen on a bus recently? Good question. Uh, thanks, Fred. I'm a little surprised. Uh, it was the last time that I was on a bus that had a movie on it. I saw Ron Howard's version of The Grinch. It was the holiday season, and uh, and it, it stung up like that's out like loud. a weird choice for like Christmas season bus movie. I feel. There's a lot of different directions you could go that would be less controversial than so that many. version of The Grinch. The universally loathed, <laughs> like I mean, rating-wise, it's appropriate, I guess. Yeah, but, but like, it's like there's not like any like NC seventeen rated. I mean, there probably are NC seventeen rated Christmas movies, but yeah. No, even in in that case too. I mean, yeah, there's whatever a few hundred thousand PG or G rated ones, and like none of them involve everybody having like weird fake noses and running around on. That's blanketed in fake snow. Like it's well, some of them do, but this one involves the most of that. And like that was a choice. I don't know why they. I mean, it was. It's hard to say. But my guess is that when you have to drive a bus between uh, Boston and Portland, Maine, 
during the holiday season that you cycle through a lot of holiday movies. And this was like two days before Christmas, and it might be that he was there's the last one. Like, yeah. yeah, right. That it was like this one, and then there was going to be like eight crazy nights or something like that, and then there would just be like nothing, or just be like chips reruns. Jingle all the way. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like that one was probably like if you're going, if you're working your way backwards, like Jingle All the Way is like a week before you get to the Grinch. Yeah, of, like I could multiple see. trips per day, and it's I got, wanna, if it's got Sinbad in it, I feel like it's played on buses more than anywhere else. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> sure, that's like secretly his constituency, like the bus station Don, still a big star in the world of mass transit. If it was, if it was like House Guest or something, I would have actually watched it. The issue with the Grinch was that. Like, I, so I would, I did my best not to watch it. It's not a very long bus ride. I already had an extremely long and terrible day of travel, you know, on that, that day. And the last thing that I wanted to do, uh, in the home stretch was like, look up and, and see Jim Carrey, like moonwalking while dressed as a 380 pound green furry, you know, uh, Grinch. I don't know what kind of. That was like the last sort of era of films before they would just like, oh, screw it, we'll I'll do it on CGI in front of a green screen. It'll just be like yeah. Andy Serkis in a motion capture suit. And yeah, it, there's something, you know, it's funny, like I actually admired that in a certain sense, like, but it also reminded me of, like, have you ever seen like the Robert Altman Popeye? Yes. Like, it, in the same way that like that one is like an authentic and like well-produced and completely hideous movie like this one was definitely like everybody was like we're gonna try to do a great job like yeah ron, i mean ron howard's like a pros pro i feel like yeah and he i mean it's not like a man of vision necessarily but he's like yeah if he wants to recreate whoville like he knows the right guys to hire and they bring him in and so they they recreated it but then like everything in it it's like you know the book itself is probably 200 words long right and i mean the, the original cartoon shorts like 22 minutes yeah. And so, like, yeah, I guess you're you're working off of that and not the original text, you know, for readers six and under. I mean, they already kind of, kind of like, stretched it out as far as they could yeah, to get it like to those the, 22 minutes. And then this one, you know, you take out, like, the Burl Ives songs and you, like, literally replace them with, like, 40 minutes of Jim Carrey, like, moonwalking and, like, doing imitations of people that were famous around when that movie came out or whatever. It's unbearable, and he is unbearable. Uh, I think that's a movie where there's got to be just, like, inappropriate fart jokes, too. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that was the thing I was going to say, is that every few minutes I would look up. Because, like, I'm aware that there's a movie playing, and I do enjoy watching movies. And at that point, like, you know, my other option was being on, like, bus internet after 10 hours of travel or whatever, just, like, tweeting my complaints about the Grinch, which is not actually even better than watching the Grinch on a bus. Like, it's the same. It's the same experience. You're just choosing one screen on which a sad thing is happening over another. And in this case, I would look up every now and then, and I looked up two consecutive times. It was, like, him farting, and, like, the back of his little Grinch suit blows up, and, like, that's the... the punchline of it and like i don't I, again i haven't read the book in a while i don't remember if that's in there i'm pretty sure that was not in the the um much beloved animated television version of it and like yeah it was it, I don't know, it was weird it, there was something almost like kind of not like 
sad about the movie beyond you know the sadness of like being on a bus and it's the only movie playing and you're gonna wind up watching half an hour of it whether you mean to or not but just like it was really like kind of an earnest attempt to mount like an epic scale feature length version of a children's book that's like 17 pages long it made 260 million dollars domestically yeah oh my gosh did it really yeah it cost. I thought it was like this crazy boondoggle. It cost 123 million to make, which might be why. Oh, and it's and it's all up there on the screen. Man. Yeah, <laughs> it's really right there for you to for you to enjoy, or at least to be assaulted by. Like the makeup of it, especially, is weird too. Like whoever came up with the idea that like all of the characters should have strange-looking, upturned, artificial noses is like I. I mean. You did, they cast Christine Baranski in the movie. Her nose does kind of look like that. I think Christine Baranski is great. Why everyone else had to have Christine Baranski's nose when really only Christine Baranski has Christine Baranski's nose is, I mean, I don't know how many tens of millions of that budget went into that, but they were all wasted. There's just no reason to do that. It didn't add any value for anybody watching it. Maybe Baranski's family again. I can't speak for them. Yeah, the last time I was on a bus, I was coming back from Philadelphia. I was on one of the, one of the you know, whatever the mega buses or the bolt buses, whatever those things do you, are. Do you remember which one of them is is Scottish? The mega bus. I feel like there could be some real wild cards movie wise there. No, they didn't play a movie. Oh. So all I got was I remember it distinctly because there was like, you know that thing's like a cattle call. It's like when you get there, you either get on the bus or you don't. It's like completely, like the sort of the Southwest Airlines boarding procedure meets. Yeah. Mad Max. <laughs> so you just sort of end up thrown in seats with whoever. I happened to get managed to get a seat, I think, next to my friend. But there was just one of those things where, like, two people that don't know each other end up sitting next to each other on a bus. And they were directly behind me. Mm-hmm. And they had a literally from Philadelphia. And it was, like, pouring rain, thunderstorm, just, like, nasty weather, like, summer afternoon thunderstorms the whole way back. Um, and she's just like telling this dude, and they're both in their early twenties, I'm going to guess. And she's just telling this dude, like her life story. And it's one of those situations where like, you're a guy when in, your you're in your early twenties, like you can get all that done like, yeah. by the time you're at like Rahway or yeah. whatever, like exit 14 on the turnpike. Yeah. Well, there's that part of it too. And the, the guy was doing the thing where he's like a little too enthusiastically, like making her life sound more interesting than it actually is like back to her because he's like holding out hope for the 15% chance that she might like, he might be able to get her number when they get off in Chinatown. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, so the dynamic I, was it's, just it's, all it's easy to laugh at it. It's not yeah. like I've never been that person oh, yeah. before, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So it's literally, but it's like, just one thing where they, it did not stop for, it was almost admirable that the conversation just went for two and a half hours straight. So basically, instead of getting a movie, you got like an audio-only version of like Tom Noonan's "What Happened Was" or like yeah, it's some like the literally really awkward date movie, like the awful, the most terrible remake of like "Before Sunset" you can think of, or "Before Sunrise." But that was the first one, right? <laughs> instead of like wandering around Prague and being yeah. by beauty, you're like you're just sitting on a mega bus. Like the other toll booth in Delaware before you. Get- <laughs> <laughs> you're just, yeah, that sounds really stirring. I'm sorry. I hope that they uh, got married 
and and have that story to tell people about how and when they met. They met on a mega bus. Yeah, they're like, if there had been a movie, there's no way of knowing if we could be together today. But uh, because the TVs weren't working, because it was an eight dollar ticket, and the buses don't really have very good TVs. Yeah. I just told him everything that had happened to me during the first 22 years of my life. Yeah. He pretended it was interesting, and now... It would have been uh, funnier, oh, I think, now that I think that they had shown before Sunrise as the movie, but the sound just wasn't working. <laughs> Your, like, auxiliary audio track, yeah. like a commentary by... Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I feel like there's no real winning with movies on, uh, on mass transit as a general rule. Like, I've, I've seen movies on airplanes that I liked, I guess. But in all those cases, you're watching it on that little, it's like a screen that's the size of like one of those, like the larger baseball cards that they made in the 80s. It's, like it's, neon ones. I think it's really like an eight inch CRT TV. Yeah. I watched, uh, and I could be repeating myself from our previous discussion. I watched the social network on one of those and it was, you know, it was good. It's a good movie, but it was, I felt like disrespectful in a lot of ways. Like that's like, a lot of work went into all those shots. They would use like really good cameras, and then, and then like I'm watching it on something the size of like a Samsung Galaxy, whatever. <laughs> like periodically pausing it to tell my wife what's happening in the seat next to me. Well, you know my ears are popped. It doesn't seem right. Bus movies, you know, obviously it's a different, it's a different universe because it's a bus. But uh, yeah, I would say The Grinch is the worst thing I've seen on a bus. Actually, the least pleasing visually thing that I've seen on the bus. I don't think I've ever actually seen the Ron Howard version. My wife is obsessed with Christmas specials. That's all we watch during the month of December. So I've seen some, and she found like a whole bunch of stuff on Netflix this year. My favorite one is the dude from Ed, Tom Cavanaugh, plays Santa Claus in, it's like a Hallmark channel movie that's i think that's right. really interesting casting yeah it, that was my thought too i'm almost thinking like well you were on like a fairly successful television series on nbc for a number of years it's like and you're like she, a slim five nine dude. yeah like, that's <laughs> not... well no no there's like it, the whole like he tells the whole santa claus backstory at some point and how he turns how he was like turned he's like cursed to turn into santa it's like a curse like a literally a oh, wizard's it's, curse it's, it's, like, it's like it's like the, it's like the santa claus except for Yes. The non-union version yeah, or whatever. Essentially. But I'm thinking like, yeah, man, you've fallen pretty far. And, like, and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, no, that's kind of what happens to actors like you, doesn't it? Yeah. When you really like, think about it. You're happy to have the work. Yeah. You know, like presumably he like owns his own home. He's going to be handsome for his entire life. Sure. Like if you got to like take a couple weeks and play Santa Claus on the Hallmark Network, like – it's not, you know, worse than anything we're going to be asked to do at work this week, really. No, and they made a sequel, apparently. To that? Person? Yes, there's two of them. Hmm. Well, I don't like, I don't like knowing that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't like the, you know, the cash grab for the second one? Yeah, it's kind of sad. Cause it's essentially, it's, you know, whatever. It, I don't know the old joke about the unanswered questions from the first one, but like once you become Santa Claus at that point, I guess if it was... If, it, if that if the sequel was interested in portraying like the drudgery of being Santa Claus, you know, like just all year, like imagine how like dull like July is for Santa Claus. Like you know, you're not doing much. You're like kind of maybe you're like on the recumbent bike or like the elliptical or whatever because like it's bathing suit season and you don't have to be heavy again for a while or whatever. But it just I don't. What was this? Did you see the sequel as well? No, I mean, the premise of the first one, as I recall, was uh, 
his reindeer that he was teaching how to fly got kidnapped by a, got sedated and kidnapped by a poacher that worked for a zoo and then imprisoned in the zoo and he had to, he had to break it out before christmas eve that's like standard christmas movie fare yeah anything involving a, like a heist like an animal heist is like almost stereotypically christmasy I, you know, it's, I, and again, I don't remember if I wasn't watching all of the Ron Howard Grinch, but I'm sure that there was something like that in there in which uh, Jim Carrey stole a bunch of animals from someone. It's a, it's a trope. It's kind of a is, like, is Ron Howard's entire reputation as a director just basically based on ransom and like uh, a beautiful mind at this point? I don't know. I mean, I feel like it, he actually has directed a lot of really like because he did. Um, the Da Vinci Code too, right? Which apparently is and like this Da Vinci Code sequel. Yeah, both of which I think are apparently like low key some of the shittier movies of our era. That like I think you know you don't really no one that didn't like the Da Vinci Code already saw them, but like a lot of the reviews I read were like, wow, this is really like somehow worse than the book. That's quite an achievement. But again, both of those I'm sure like if you had the, the Grinch's worldwide grosses handy, I don't even want to know what the Da Vinci Code movie did that was basically like tom hanks in a doug grayback wig and <laughs> the lady from um amelie audrey tato yeah traveling through the catacombs of whatever various different cities right yes as far as i can tell yeah i, I, I read the first i read like the first chapter it might have been angels and demons the actual sequel mm -hmm. to the vinci code it was like just in uh, – my father reads a lot of mysteries, so he must have just picked it up at some point. And it was just sort of lying around my parents' house. And I picked up and read the first chapter, and it was like the most overwritten – just – it was like I couldn't even – it was just so bad. Like it's indescribably bad. The stuff that I've read of, about his writing, I have not read any of it. But apparently like the take that he has, which just it sounds like the most hilarious – like anti-literary take that you could have is to just add um, extraneous details in terms of, like, you know, a person will be saying something, and then it'll be like somebody said, and then you know, the rest of the quote, but the stuff that he'll tuck in, <laughs> it'll just be like this looks like a case for the Da Vinci Code, like Hanks, the six-one man with brown hair said <laughs> and, like, <laughs> just like, but it's like back of the baseball card, like biomass <laughs> Like, just, like, simple descriptive stuff, like, 54-year-old Professor Johnson said. And, like, which is all very precise. But, like, it's just, it's something that I can't even imagine, like, a third grader necessarily thinking was right. Like, being like, I should probably mention it, the professor had a mustache. Like, I'll do it in this quote. That's the easiest way to do it, I guess. Yeah, good. <laughs> and yet, like, that guy has sold more books than you know, whatever, your 10 favorite authors and my 10 favorite authors combined, so he's clearly doing something right. But, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of good Ron Howard movies. I guess, like, is Cocoon actually good? I don't, I don't know. Since I was eight. I don't know. Willow? Probably. I I remember Willow fondly, but it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Will, I, but also, I think Willow might actually be bad. Like, that's another thing that I haven't seen since I was eight years old, and in large part, I mean, Parenthood, I actually there's watched. There's a lot of other movies to see, but also, like, you know, whatever, what if it's bad? Parenthood, I actually watched in a film studies class, and I can't remember why. It was the films of Tom Hulse. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good class. 
it's offered at most schools these days. Far and I, Away? It was Far and Away was just like a Merchant Ivory film, as far as I could tell. Yeah. And it was on USA a, all the time when I was a child. Well, actually a teenager, I guess. It was just on USA on Sunday afternoon, Far and Away. I was talking to someone today about uh, Contact. the um, And just like how weird it is that movies like those weren't even made a long time ago. But the idea that far and away, that like the pitch was, it's like a two-hour and forty-minute boxing epic, in which Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise will both be required to do Irish accents, about like not based on a thing that anybody knows anything about, like the guy doesn't become, you know, whatever Jack Dempsey or anything like that. It's just like this is that's what the movie's about, and we're gonna need like a hundred million dollars, and we're gonna need to shoot it in IMAX. And, that's how that goes. And then they were just like, all right, cool. Like, when can you start? Like, the idea that that ever happened. Was that just one of those now, things that came out after, like, obviously came out after Days of Thunder. Yeah. But they I just decided, was, like, eh, whatever. Like, America loves, like, Tom Cruise and his, like, extremely beautiful wife who's six inches taller than him. Like, this is this is what we want. But, yeah, it's, it's baffling. Like, and I have no problem with Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman. I just the idea of watching... Two and a half hours of them, like, rough and tumbling it through, you know, early 20th century America, I guess, and possibly also Ireland, in pursuit of some sort of boxing story. I don't know. Until I, I clicked actually... on the link for Far and Away and remembered what it was, I thought it was that other... I always confuse it with the, what is it, the Daniel Day-Lewis film that's very similar? No, no, no. It's the one with Brad Pitt and Anthony Hopkins, uh, Seasons of the Fall, is that it? Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall and, or, and Far and Away or always. Or like, Meet Joe Black, which in my head I assumed is a Ron Howard film, even though I know it's a Martin Brest movie. Right, and, it's the one that basically he hasn't made a movie since. Yeah. yeah. But it's in, well, Julie. <laughs> it's been a rough go of it for him. Yeah. I assume we but both yeah. read the long reads on yeah, Martin like Brest. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although it's weird, too, though, because there's a part of me that this is, I, I'm so glad that you get to edit these things because I'm just not sure. <laughs> this is a. Uh, this is ready for primetime material. But yeah, like that was, it was very good. But at the same, as I was reading it, I was kind of like, you've got like another 2,500 words left yeah. in this long read about the guy that directed Midnight Run <laughs> five years old. <laughs> like, are you sure that this is how you want to do it? I'm looking at the other. So I guess Frost Nixon's all right. Apollo just 13. The... Yeah, Apollo 13 is good. I mean, I think A Beautiful Back. Mind sort of kicked off his like, just going for Oscars. Run yeah. with... What's amazing about this is that just looking at these now, like actually none of these are very good. Like Apollo thirteen is I guess is the best. But like Splash is maybe the third best movie that he's made. Yeah. I could see a case for that. That's a tough one. I mean I guess his association with like arrested development is Yeah. Oh I mean no one has any bad feelings yeah. about Ron. I mean I sure don't. Like the arrested development thing is great. I think Bryce Dallas Howard is great. You know, like, and so congratulations to him on a lovely daughter. Like, I think that the, you know, seeing him act in things actually is, is kind of like always pleasant to me in a way that surprises me. His next movie is a film set in 1820 based on a whaling ship that is preyed upon by a sperm whale which strands it at sea for 90 days. Which sounds it's like called, a Ron Howard word. It's called Dobie Mick. It's called in it's called in the heart of the sea, and it stars Chris Hemsworth and Cillian Murphy. Okay, 
I mean, I like. And there's okay. No, no. There's a character. Um, ben Wishaw plays Herman Melville. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's gonna be one of those films. This is the movie. That, this is what it's all been leading up to for him. Yeah. He's always wanted to make some sort of like meta literary wailing yeah. epic, but like sometimes you just gotta spend twenty odd years making. A beautiful mind. You know that you, you, really you know they're gonna like get back to shore finally, and like it's gonna they're gonna rescue to like Herman Melville off the boat or whatever, and he's gonna he's gonna get on like some rescue boat, and he's gonna be like, "Oh, thanks for rescuing me, sir." And the guy's just gonna go, "Oh, you can call me Ishmael." Yeah, <laughs> that's how oh, the movie's God. gonna end. <laughs> was, like smash was... cut to black. What was some Brian Adams song plays over the credit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All for love, indeed. The, uh, <laughs> the, as you were saying that, I was like, I know where this is going, and I know he's going to end up with Call Me Ishmael. I don't want to interrupt him, <laughs> but I'm really dreading the moment when he says it. And then you delivered, and I give yeah. you credit for that. He's doing another but, Dan Brown film with Tom Hanks. That's also in the, in the IMDb queue. Have you seen the Tom Hanks's tweets at all recently? Did no. You know he, signs, he signs them, which is my favorite thing that people <laughs> do. You say H-A-N-X. Weird. Every now and then he'll just like sort of get one of those in where he'll be like, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Hanks. <laughs> like, I, it's all I can do to <laughs> just watch his feed all day and just instantly retweet everything. The <laughs> weirdest thing about him, I think, is sort of his kids become like a gawker person of interest. Just because he's such a mutant, he's yeah. like a weird, yeah, the Chet Hayes. Chet Hayes, yes. Not the one that's like a successful working actor who no, generally no. does a really good job in everything he's in. Like yes, the Colin Hanks, one. yeah. That's the one that you got to pay attention to. Yeah. Like, he might make another song about like freshman girls. <laughs> All right, we should talk about the Mets. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. You think, you think we've exhausted yeah. this? <laughs> All right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, how about how about the Mets? Have you enjoyed the last um, six or eight weeks of transactions? Um, they signed a lefty, and they did something else that I said I wasn't going to talk about, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, uh, they, they changed the video board. Yeah, they made the video board slightly wider. That, didn't, that was not on MLB trade rumors, and no. I did not see it, but that's that. That's actually, I think, maybe a better rule. Yeah, the, the two big, like, Chula ad, Cholula ads on either side of the video board. Yeah, they shrunk the Cholula ads. I'm going to stop going to games. No, you replace it with more pixels. That's good. Anything that conveys how iconic the wooden cap is more effectively, I think, is a good move for the team. They can show those ridiculous, like, do you see the robots playing baseball video they kept playing in front of... Uh, Right before the games would start a couple of years ago? No, I don't remember it. Did these crazy, like, one. orange and blue robots just, like, playing baseball? That was... <laughs> That's a good one. They've had some very good, bad video things in the past that I remember very fondly. I have not seen the robots, and I never, you know, was into that, like, the, the subway races or whatever it was. But the... Do you remember the, um, the Spanish lessons, the Jose Reyes Yes, those ones? were great. Oh, I... They're not on YouTube, but they made me. So I'm, there was one. There was a game that I was at where the Spanish phrase that he taught you, which I don't know how they came up with it or how many of them they'd done before that, was just him saying, uh, "It was like 
me amo pollo, like, I like chicken. That was the sentence <laughs> that they wanted you to learn. That, and I remember before that, the John Dean geography quiz, Mean Street USA. I don't remember that. Oh, that was special stuff. That was really great. I miss Especially that. John Maine made like Lucas, <laughs> Lucas yeah. Suda look like Martin Short. Like nobody was more terrified in front of a camera than that guy. Like it's like a hostage video. He was just like this state has several of the highest mountains in all the continental United States. All right, I don't know. They're just like, all right, cool. Like it's New Hampshire. <laughs> like, but he was just very nervous. Well, you would think they would pick the more sort of you know media friendly mets for those kind of things they never really did yeah no that's like you can always tell when they do the pregame like you know stuff you're not supposed to do in the stadium or whatever there's always like 60 percent of the guys they do like everybody has to say a sentence you can always tell the ones that are comfortable and the ones that are just not Mm -hmm. like granderson would do the whole thing and be delighted to do it oh yeah like he would ad-lib stuff like he'd throw the script out and just be like i got this i've done a million of these but yeah, it is always weird. When I remember when we did the that terrible uh, Christmas card thing a few years ago, it was the same deal where it was like they seemed to like latch onto the guys that seemed most frightened to do it, and so it was like all Duda and like Dylan G. Well, no, they very famously placed put uh, Justin Turner with Duda, and Duda like just was sort of staring at the camera while Turner sang or whatever. And then the joke was they traded Turner, or they uh, they non-tendered Turner like two days later after they posted the Christmas card. Yeah, I think it was because they didn't appreciate. They thought that he was he was kind of lollygagging it on the Christmas card. Yeah, I'm a, sure. A front office source said that yeah. nobody knows who it was. <laughs> it could have been anybody in the front office that routinely pops off with a bunch of dumb bullshit. But Justin Turner, by the way, I think it's worth more wins above replacement than any Met last year. Is that right? Yeah, he had some like four forty BABIP or something ridiculous in uh. Yeah, I mean, whatever, I'm happy for him. I, I only want good things for Justin Turner. But that was something that I did not, uh, I didn't find this amusing at the moment. <laughs> it's just like, oh, wow, congratulations on achieving five wins above replacement and topping the entire Mets outfield right now. That's great for you. But He slugged he, 490 last year. That's, I love that shit, though. That's great. Like, I should, he should do that every year. Like, there's... I think there's kind of that like dead cat bounce that happens to like Deuce in their first year after being Mets, and I'm glad that it happened to Justin Turner because I always enjoy Justin Turner. He may very well go back to being Justin Turner this year, and you know, like that's fine. It, it worked for him for most of his career, but like his brief season as like Ben Zobrist, I think was <laughs> was a wonder to behold for all of us. It's kind of a shame that in terms of talking about the Mets, I mean, like it's the middle of February and like we're talking about stuff we if we had done recorded this two months ago we could have been talking about the same transactions because there really hasn't been another one since then with all due respect to Dwayne below yeah it's it's like we're at the point in the offseason where it's like man just like baseball is like about to start sort of not really like we always get really yeah. excited for pitchers and catchers and they realize oh yeah this is going to happen for a couple weeks Right. We get really excited for spring training games, and then spring training games, like, oh, these are kind of (laughs) terrible. Yeah. Like, this is awful baseball. (laughs) I will watch a spring training game for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At all. But the only, if they were, you know, it's a way of sort of like easing yourself back into stuff. Like, the idea of, I kind of like a shittier spring training game more than I like a 
a higher quality one. Like I want to see like people running sprints in the outfield when I'm watching it. Like that really like adds experience to me. Cause like, I need to know that like, it's still going to be like seven weeks before I see an actual baseball game that means anything. Like if I'm watching it and like Gerald Laird is doing push-ups on the warning track for some reason. Like, yeah, that's always my cool. favorite part when they have like the, the pitcher that went three innings, but he still got to get his running in. So you just have him run on the warning track during mm-hmm. the game. It's just, just <laughs> like, you know, these games do it. not count for anything. Yeah, like just in case you had forgotten, like there's Robinson Cancel is running between <laughs> the foul lines right now, just to keep that in your in front of your mind. I remember watching a, a like a really early spring training game once that was this was like a few years ago, and then like after the game, like while they were like breaking down the final score or whatever, there was just guys running around the bases. Like that was so it was like Gary Cohen's voiceover, and then just like guys kind of like lollygagging it around there like a like something that you would see in like an early like a nintendo game it was like the halftime performance in double dribble or something my favorite too is after after the uh, after the minor leaguers report there's like 200 minor leaguers stretching on like the backfield over the right field fence (laughs) exactly what you want just everybody gets get some uniform pants and they get an opportunity (laughs) to do the hurdler stretch (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I mean, that all, even that seems kind of far away now. Like, it's cold as hell as we record this. Like, it's really just, like, kind of a lousy time to be outdoors. And, like, this is why I think I've maybe been doubly frustrated by the fact that the Mets have effectively done, like, less than nothing. I mean, not even, like, minor league free agent signing. Is it, like, I need it so much more now. I think that I don't think I'm alone in that. And, like, they're just checked out. Like, when they're waiting for March, and then they're going to, you know, find this year's Valverde right before spring training. And it's just the it's. I think it's been worse the last few offseasons. We don't want to talk about the reasons players are signing with teams other than the Mets. It's like, yeah. that's not something that should ever enter your your content. Really, as a sports fan. Like, I don't want to do yeah. the whole thing like, oh, New York team, you got to spend New York money. Like, I mean, I, I understand, you know, if you're a Mariners fan or a Padres, well, not this year, but generally yeah. in the past, <laughs> if you've been a Padres fan, yeah, or you're a Tampa Bay Rays example, fan, but... I mean, you know your team has certain financial restrictions based on the market. But mm-hmm. this is like its own different kind of annoyance. Yeah. It's more, it's like a an attempt at sort of like amateur forensics more than it is like being a baseball fan. Like you're trying to sort of like reverse engineer from all the transactions in which the Mets do not participate or are not even remotely linked. Like the fact that they're um, on like John Moncada or whatever, that they were like very early. They were like, no, like we can't do that. Like we're sure he's going to be very great, but like we just can't afford a 19 year old potential hall of famer right now. It's very, um, our payroll flexibility is such that blah, 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 blah. But then, like, at some point, you're parsing stuff that's, you know, entirely subtextual that you don't even really know about, that you're only guessing at because, like, Howard Megdahl wrote a thing about it 18 months ago in terms of, like, how much money they do or don't have. And, yeah, I mean, it, that part is not fun. I mean, like, the, the whole, like, rosterbation aspect of it, like, we don't even really get that anymore 
in terms of the idea of being like immediately take a shot on this, maybe if King Shield goes for like half of what he should get, like literally half of what he should get in the free agent market, like maybe they could have taken a shot or whatever. It's just like once they sign the two dudes that they're going to sign in the first five days, of, you know, of the free agent signing period, you're just kind of left to think about other structural things. You end up like diagramming sentences that Sandy Alderson says in like WFAN to parse it for secret meaning. Yeah, like breaking it down and being like, well, numerologically, <laughs> this is actually very complicated <laughs> because payroll flexibility has 17 characters, right? What else is 17? Keith Hernandez. Think about it. And that's <laughs> all just like, I don't even know. I, mean, he, it's he, like, he I, think, I think you sort of hit on it. We just end up on Mets Twitter just sounding like callers to like InfoWars. Mm -hmm. And that's a depressing, especially too, because I feel like a lot of, not all of the people that care about the Mets, but a lot of them are like very aware of how irrational they sound. When you're The thing is like, we can handle bad baseball teams, God knows. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, not it's an issue. Else. Yeah. But this particular type of inert baseball team is still like, this is like the third winter, I guess, of this sort of thing. So, like, I guess I could say that I'm, like, acclimated to it to a certain extent. Like, when they signed Kadir really early, and it's crazy to think how long ago that was. I read about that for SB Nation. I haven't worked at SB Nation since the middle of November. Uh, it was, like, the third to last thing that I wrote there. And, but, like, so they did that, and then, like, as... That was, I mean, I was, like, you know, doing my best to, you know, hear both sides or whatever. And I was like, this is a fine signing in and of itself if it is not the entirety of their offseason. That's right, yeah, now they can go out and get, now they can, like, yeah, it costs a draft pick, but they can sign another guy that costs a draft pick and only costs a second-round draft pick. And, dude, at it, the time, I was actually thinking, I was like, well, all right, so they, they don't have the draft pick, but then they can use that bonus allotment on an international free agent. I was oh, yeah, totally absolutely. through the looking glass. <laughs> These are not crazy things to think at all. But at the same time, I was like, oh, yeah, so this is what they're going to do. And then it was like, wait a month, they signed John Mayberry, and then like somebody booked Adam Rubin. was like, that's about that. Like, <laughs> see you guys in mid-March. <laughs> and it's... Uh... it's how, just... uh, how, do you, how do you deal with it yourself? I, I feel like I'm getting... I'm getting dangerously close to like one of those people on Twitter, mm -hmm. and it's disturbing me greatly. I've been just, I've been just. <laughs> the other day, I just <laughs> allowed to mention this. That you, you had like after Shield signed that you like had a tweet that you basically you interrupted yourself and stopped yourself from finishing the tweet. You then tweeted it, of course. Yes, and then I had Twitter. sixteen additional tweets. <laughs> you were like, "There's no excuse for the Mets not to." Oh no, I can't. I'm sorry. It's just like it's like. <laughs> broke down immediately it's like like a parallax view kind of like you think i need you to understand i need to know that you know this like I, it's mm -hmm. like like i know that you know this but i just it's you understand what i'm saying when i say this yeah it's not a great feeling for sure like just knowing that they're not in on guys or that they're not like participating i guess like i wrote so this it's, year it's almost, I wrote, and it's like and i I, I'm generally sympathetic to Sandy Alderson, but it's almost, <laughs> it's almost I can almost like see it. Like it's hard not to sort of cast him in your mind as this sort of like, 
I don't think of him as a villain. I well, think I think it's hard. Like, not, it's like a. It's like, oh, you like prospects? Well, here's fucking Wilmer Flores at shortstop for a whole year. <laughs> right. Enjoy it. You guys like prospects, I. right? Yeah, yeah, prospects. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's going to be. You never know. You know, like, yeah, he's like the robot he, devil from Futurama. I think it's maybe like the yeah. best. <laughs> I was thinking of the um, the scene in the senses where Homer is force fed donuts yeah. for eternity, but is like more or less fine with it. Yeah, yeah. But that's like sort of where we are with it. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, yeah. the idea that like you know whatever you want to see us develop young talent. Like, what if we developed it and then we never did anything with it? Like, it's just ours forever. Like. You know, whatever the Crosby starters to be developed, they all just get moved. Now they're all long men because, like, <laughs> we can't trade anybody, and that's how that goes. But, the, like, I don't know. I mean, I can't be mad at Alderson just because I feel like his job is impossible. But also, I mean, this is the other thing that this way of being sort of, like, forces upon you. Is it, like, so you pick your villain, and then, like, you decide that that's the person whose fault it all is, you know, like... I don't really like Jeff Wilpon. I don't really like Fred Wilpon either, but I like Jeff Wilpon less. And so, like, that's the guy that, and I don't think he has any say in how they spend money or whatever, but so I decided it's the Wilpons. Bob Ojitas decided it's Sandy Alderson. Like, there's probably, once the season starts, going to be people that decide that, like, honestly, it's Terry Collins who's actually fucking this all up, and it's always been him or whatever. But the... It, I mean, um, it's that level of abstraction of it, the idea that you need to sort of like approach this as something other than cheering for a baseball team or like even like an organization, like a business organization whose job it is to put together a baseball team. Like there's just this that extra element of mystery and guesswork is, I don't know, it seems harder now than it will when there's actual baseball to watch, you know? Then you just sort of deal with it, and you're like, all right, so they're going to win these games this year. Like, I've been through that. I can find a way to make that work for me. And I understand, like, intellectually. Like, yeah, it, it's it's not necessary, but I find it helpful as a, as a fan of the sport. You know, I'm an intellectually curious person. You know, I kind of like to know how teams, you know, different methodologies for team building you're an approach to the economics of the sport you know what they look like Mm -hmm. you know those are all good things to know you know it's good to know what's a good free agent you know there are error bars here you know what's a good free agent contract and why you know looking at sort of like you know contract you like gary matthews jr when he signed that, that ridiculous deal for texas or whatever There's it was. Some, where you can see them right on their face. I remember when Boone Logan signed last year. I was like, What's, why would you pay Boone Logan that much money? Like, you don't even need to be an expert in a lot of these cases. But the Gary Matthews one, I remember too, being like, hilarious. I was like, like I had a good half season and he's got like, there's six years of his career that happened before that. You know, yeah. Even if you can afford it, are you sure? And it, like I said, it's good to know these things it's good to be intellectually curious but applying those sort of processes to the mets over the last few years will basically drive you insane yeah because it doesn't that's a a good point and i think that that's actually like the like i understand i think that's the basis of of the like the weirdness of the whole thing is the idea that like it's you can't even assess the good or the bad deals along the same continuum that you do for other teams because you don't 
this economy that the Mets are participating in is like totally secret and totally separate from the other contacts that the rest of Major League Baseball provides. And so it's like, you know, you're investigating some sort of other strange thing whose boundaries you don't know and whose details are, you know, in the dark. And so you're left to sort of guess as to whether, like, like that, that was the same thing with the Kadir deal. Like, why that? You know, and there isn't really an answer for it. It doesn't have anything to do with Michael Kadir as a player. I don't even think it has anything to do with his relationship with David Wright as a, a person. There's just, like, all this stuff that is outside of the usual, you know, analytical spectrum that we use to, to gauge this stuff. Yeah, I love the sort of the idea, like, oh, I wish, I wish Sandy Alderson would just be like, get a question on this, like, I don't, just be like, oh, I don't know what the Mets, they don't tell me what the payroll is, we're broke, we're just, I guess we're just broke, I don't know, I'm the GM and I don't know, it's like, it's like, say that publicly on the record, it's like, yeah, that's why Sandy Alderson is the GM and you probably won't be, because <laughs> the job description is... That's the thing, that, see, it's funny too, because like... I feel like he's doing the best that he can in an impossible job. And I think he's like generally done a good job of building the organization up in a lot of ways. Also, like I like him because he seems smart and he seems like he's got a sense of humor and whatever. But like, yeah, I can tell you that a little bit of that would go a long way with me. Like the idea that, because like it is part of his job to like lie to us yes. about why he's doing the things that he's doing. And I mean, it's is, it's weirdly admirable you know that he's so good at it, to. but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's weird. It's like sort of <laughs> the way that you can, like, admire a, you know, national-scale politician who, like, pretends to be offended about something that somebody in the opposing party did. You're like, well, that's not, like, cool. It's not, like, a positive addition to the discourse. And also, like, I know that you don't really feel this, but, like, you know, well-played. Senator Lindsey Graham, <laughs> like you really, you really hit your talking points on that. Like with Halverson, like I mean, he does like the parts of his job that are his job, right? And I like that. But the parts of his job that are his job, simply because he's the GM for the Mets, and because the Mets are the Mets, are you know just totally intractable and sad in a lot of ways. I mean, just like even when he does them right when you're aware that he's doing them right it's just hard to you know <laughs> it's hard not to want him to be able to do his job without that being a part of his job you know yeah I just I don't think he's made that many moves that no we, we made a there's like a running guy he's traded for like six major league players yeah in and like four all, years like, and they're like Andre Torres. Yeah, they're all like yeah. Andres Torres. Who I think was the highest contract. Like that was the guy that was getting paid the most of the major leaguers that he's traded for in all of his years on the job. Yeah. The other ones, at least I can name all of them, just off of guys that were on. So Andres Torres, Ramon Ramirez, Eric Young. Yeah. Uh, Colin Cowgill. Probably yes. It was a forty-man guy, right? Yeah. And then I think um, he had he had major league service time when they traded for him. Yeah. And all right, who is? Wow. Uh, was it a relief pitcher? There's probably a relief pitcher in there somewhere. 
Um, that's we named five. That's five, I think. Like the oh, that's such a drag, though. You know, like these, these like non-prospect challenge trades. The idea of being like, well, Eric, Eric Young is faster than Colin McHugh, so. <laughs> Like, I mean, I can't be mad about, like, trading Colin McHugh or whatever. I just can't be sad about the fact that, like, none of these deals can happen unless they're, like, a complete salary wash and involve guys that are making more or less the league minimum. The inability to trade somebody like Dylan G that actually has value and has more value to another team than the Mets, like, it might be that they'll be able to do it. It might be that they shouldn't do it. It might be that Dylan G will be, like, a really good – like, you could do, like, what – Dice K did last year, except for do it much faster and more effectively. Like, I don't know, you know, but the fact that you like can't trade one of these players without, you know, a million people with the last name Wilpon or Katz signing off on it and then somehow saving money on the deal, it's just, that's weird. It's, you know, it's criminology in terms of trying to figure out, like, how and why any of this is happening. It's all so opaque. And I think, haven't they, like, scheduled – I don't remember because there haven't been a lot of news on it lately. They scheduled, like, Jeff Wilpon's deposition in the sexual harassment cage, like, two days after the season starts. <laughs> That's subtle because you don't want to do it the day after the season starts. No, no. I have no problem believing any to all of the allegations <laughs> of that, by the way. I mean, do you have a hard time? No, and like, I, I, I don't know how much that speaks to us and how much it speaks yeah, to... Yeah, that's, that's a fair point, but yeah. But no, I have no... It's like there's some... People will be like, oh, that's... You know, that's we you know, to use a somewhat overused Twitter meme. Well, you got to hear both sides, but... Yeah. With, with Jeff Wilpon, it's kind of like... Yeah, no, absolutely. That seems... Totally. I mean, the fact that, you know, like, Clappish wrote about a similar story in uh, The Worst Team Money Can Buy. Did he? Actually, that's, yeah. that's interesting. This is the first time hearing Yeah, that. he tweeted out about it. So it happened to do with David Cohn and Fred Wilpon, like, being weird about him marrying his girlfriend or something. Like, how do you even get to the point where you decide that you should have an opinion on that shit? <laughs> how old and weird. I, I was actually, I was going to mention this. I wrote about the, um, for the baseball perspective in the this year, I wrote about the Rockies. And I don't think of them as being similar to the Mets because they're, you know, they're as mediocre. I think they're actually, they've been worse. I said before on the show, like, uh, sort of going back to the idea that, like, you can kind of... You should learn about baseball and different methods for team building and approach. I, I have no idea what the Rockies do. Like, I don't know what they do. They basically took 15 <laughs> years off. They hired guys that the owners liked. And they was a, there was a sort of uh, like unspoken, semi-public, like evangelical cast of the whole thing. So these are all guys that are like Bible-believing Christians that have a you know sort of a commonality of worldview. And then they went about, and this is actually, like, I, in writing the, the thing, like, I felt almost, like, sad about it in some ways. Because they had a real idea that they were going to build a team that had values, people that were, like, virtuous. And, you know, not even necessarily in, like, a, you know, strictly, like, 
you know, whatever evangelical Christian sort of way. But they were going to try to like build a team in that way. Maybe the guys that were the sort of guys that you'd want to have on a team that also knew how to play baseball and then trusted the rest to take, you know, the shape that you wanted it to take. And it didn't work. And then it didn't work for another decade after that. And they just kept doing it. And like obviously that's very bad. And it's bad for Rockies fans too, because those guys stay coming out to games and they've had, I mean, like just, you know, with the exception of 2007, there's really been like nothing good that happened with that team. And 2007 was awesome. And obviously I would trade anything for the Mets to like have some sort of crazy hot streak, get to the world series and then get swept. Like that would be great. That'd be better than anything that's happened to me since I was like literally eight years old (laughs) as a baseball fan. But you know, but like seeing at least there you can see that there's some sort of like, you know, it's, it's nutty, but it's a thing that is like a conscious choice that comes from up top and that like the, you know, the organization is built in this, like, gnarled and shitty and unsuccessful shape around that. Whereas, like, at this point, over the last few years, like, it's been impossible to tell what beyond, like... Do it cheaply? (laughs) Yeah, cheaply, but then also this, like, weird, like, insistence on, like, keeping up appearances, so it's like... Right. That's that's the thing that that drives me. pay Jason Bay. It's like, they could... (laughs) They have... They could go full. They could have gone full Astros. Yeah, and I feel like the idea that they somehow thought that they couldn't, like that's one of those things that like always made more sense to people that work for the New York Post than it ever made sense for me. Like they could have gone full Astros, and they, I can't imagine how much different it would have been. Really, like they would have saved some money, but it's not like they would have lost more games if they hadn't signed Jason Bay to the contract they signed him to. You know. I think the issue would have they would have had to like sort of when they traded R.A. Dickey they could have traded Wright instead of signing him to that extension you know don't sign Granderson and run like a 50-60 million dollar payroll since the the implication and indication seems to be that all the money they're sort of not putting into payroll is going to debt service it's more money to go to debt service yeah and they're still you know pocketing the the, the same thing with ridiculous new national TV deals putting more money into baseball still happens it's Nobody and nobody really, you know, the Houston, you know, they get Sports Illustrated covers that say they're going to be the 2017 World Series champions or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You know, another team that hired a very sabermetric friendly GM. I feel like in and it's the same thing with the NBA too that like a team that commits that much to that gambit, I think gets more credit maybe just for the obviousness of it. They get more credit than they maybe deserve. Like if you were to yeah. if the Mets if you were to go back, it's harder to build through the draft. Three years from then. now, when the Mets are in the playoffs or whatever, yeah. or not, and you were to try to reverse engineer some logic into the last five years, you could probably do it, right? Sure. You know they you they traded. Say, if, yeah. So like, let's say they make the playoffs this year. There's gonna be a ton of revision to that. Let's let's say they win. We have to have a email question about this in the next segment but let's say they win 87 with the giants kind of with 80 let's say they win 87 games this year mm-hmm. you know harvey comes back and is good maybe not quite as good as as 2013 but good jacob de mm-hmm. does what he did last year for a full season zach wheeler takes a step forward 
you know, Wright bounces back, you know, maybe not to peak David Wright, but is an above average regular. Granderson is a little bit better, especially not having to play right field. Kadir is healthy for Kadir's healthy for a whole season. Let's not, say a whole, let's not say a whole season. That is yeah, okay. Kadir plays 125 games. Yeah, but sure. that's those are all. That's not everything that could go right for the team. No, and it's more not stuff. Crazy and it's either. not crazy. That's like that's like the seventy whatever eighty percent yeah. projection of how. It so they do that. They get into the coin flip game against I don't know the Giants. You know Matt Harvey outpitches Bumgarner. You know some random fluky thing happens in a one game playoff. They can happen in a one game yeah, playoff. Keep talking about this. Slow it down. Give me details. Okay, yeah, I've actually done this before, but it's like, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, right. whatever, it's Har- Harvey versus Bumgarner. Nobody scores any runs. Uh, some, who is it, that guy? Uh, what do they have closer right now? I guess it's Sergio Romo. Yeah. yeah so the some, closer is now Santiago Casilla, but. Is it Casilla now? Yeah, so. I hope Sergio Romo comes in. Sergio like Romo. Him. He looks like an RBI base. Romo character. comes in in the eighth and gives up some, like, ridiculous home run to somebody. Mm-hmm. Which could happen, and the Mets end up winning. You know, Mejia somehow leaves the bases loaded. Yep, <laughs> they win like three one. Does the Humpty dance? Yeah, for twenty minutes after the game ends. Yeah. So they get into the divisional series, probably against the Nationals. Some Bryce Harper does something stupid at some point that launches a thousand hot takes. Mets win in five. They lose in the NLCS to the Dodgers. All that stuff could easily happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it very easy to follow along as you were sure. describing all these things that I've never imagined before. <laughs> but you know, once once that happens, you know, once you have the royal season, basically, it does sort of you know cast this revisionist pale over everything that happened previously. Yeah, you start going back and trying to find the things that worked instead of the things that didn't. Because basically, I, the Royals, you know, the Royals made the playoffs last year in part because they got a career season from like four relievers mm-hmm. uh, and all their outfield defenders and the rest of the AL wasn't really good. Yeah. Like, it was I mean, just bad. Like I the AL that, East was kind of bad. And that's like one of those things where, you know, even as everybody understands that it's still like, you know, Nebios gets his extension, like yeah. Dean Moore gets another five years to continue doing the same stuff, you know, that he was doing before. And they had, the Royals had a hilariously bad off season from what I yeah. could tell. I mean, they would probably like, go back to winning you know, 78 to 83 games next year. And yeah, wasn't it the, some projection had them going 72 and 90 next year? That seems it was like a respectable one. It was like not vaguely closer. plausible. Yeah. Which is like, you know, they weren't that far from going 72 and 90 this year. Like, the same way that the Mets weren't that far from doing it last year. I mean, whatever, win a couple games against the Marlins or whatever at the end of the year, and you're suddenly you're almost 500. But I mean, it's it's all very it's a narrow margin. But I mean, to me, the idea that you could make a move if you needed to make a move is the thing that like sort of defines the parameters of how much you can dream on a team well, yeah that's that's yeah. you know july 25th they're a game up on the second wild card on like two teams but they need to add something 
And it doesn't need to be that they add two whiskey or whatever. No. What if it's you add Tim Hudson in the last half of the last year of the last contract that he's ever going to have? But like, do you or have, Michael Kadire is hurt and you need another corner outfielder. <laughs> yep. So do you have $5 million for that? Yeah. Like, and I don't think anybody that has followed in the last few years can assume that they do. Like, I mean, they have it in the sense that like the TV deal gives it to them. But, like, all of that money is, like, earmarked for, like, Citibank or, you know, Bank of America. I think it's J.P. Morgan Chase, technically. Or Chase, yeah, I was going to say the other bank, whatever it is, <laughs> the one that, like, they have, that they still owe, like, $275 million to or whatever. And that's, like, that's the tough one. I mean, that's, like, why, you know, beyond wanting baseball to start, because I like to watch baseball every night, that, like, the... You know, once you actually get a game to watch, and you can be like frustrated with Bartolo Colon instead of frustrated with Rob Manfred and the you know MLB sort of like our structure, and with Fred Wilpon and with you know whatever, just a million different types of like bigger, further up the food chain types of inertia. Like, man, I'd rather be angry at fucking Daniel Murphy than angry at you know. Like, I just. It's easier to take. It doesn't feel as uh, as global or as um, yeah. Because there's just another there's another game tomorrow, so it's it's completely yeah. it's completely it makes you feel better in that moment, and then it's it's gone tomorrow anyway. Well, this is just sort of you know festering, right? And this has the feel too of a sort of thing where like it's hard to imagine when it resolves itself. You know, like I guess at some point, you know, and maybe even even after this year, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to. I would I would have to ask Howard. But like when the like when the debt service thing really becomes less onerous, like I think you know that's probably a thing that could happen. But if they need to like you know bump along having a lower payroll than the Brewers for another two years, then like by the time they can start actually spending money, David Wright is going to be fully on the decline, and then they won't be paying Kadir or Granderson anymore or whatever. But like who knows where we are then? I'll be like forty. <laughs> That is the one thing you can be sure of, at least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, you know, it depends. I should really exercise more just to make sure that I get there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I'm I'm still looking forward to the season, and I assume you are too, right? Yeah, I mean, once baseball games start, this is all forgotten. Yeah. And we have other, <laughs> like, like it, more fun things to be angry about. Yeah. I guess. Also, like, I really... This is, like, I think the, the number one skill that... I mean, it's not just Mets fans that have it, honestly, but, like, Mets fans do know how to have it. Like, you just, you find a thing that, that makes you happy in a team, that even a team that loses, or a team that, like, loses in kind of, like, an unappealing way or whatever. Like, even the last few years, like, it's been a long time since I, like, bailed on watching Mets games at the end of the season. Like, usually there's, like, a couple players that I like, or they're, like, trying hard. You know, like, you find a, a way. It's funny, we were actually point. looking at the 2003 Mets at the outset the, of the show. Not a, not a team. That's not a good example. Them earlier. That's the, like, Danny Garcia, like, Jason Phillips spends the whole year at first base. Yeah, yeah. That's not as, as likable a team. Yeah, no. Those are, that was just a bad <laughs> team that was going to be bad. And everybody knew that they were going to be bad. Yeah, I guess that's right. I, although, <laughs> a lot of the dudes that played for the team during that period, like, <laughs> this uh 
guess. Well, that was that the that was the year they brought David Cohn back. Oh no, that's right. If he pitched, pitched for like a week, long relief for a little while. Got to... <laughs> oh, that is a really difficult season of baseball. Who? Wow. So I'm gonna look that team up right now as we speak, and this is gonna. Be so exciting! Just unsurprisingly, as our listeners already know, Steve Traxel was the best player on that team. Oh boy, slow mo! One of my least favorite baseball players to watch, maybe ever. I had, I mean, the years that we would buy tickets to games, get a couple of those like, uh, you know, seven or ten game packages or whatever. It was a good season for Steve Traxel, though. It was. Yeah, they were sixty-six and ninety-five. That's good stuff. Wow, this is a badass baseball team. This is pre right. Mo Vaughn had 96 plate appearances for that team. Good lord. How did this even happen? They didn't have anybody on the team. Cliff Floyd is the only player on the team that really had an above average offensive season. Yes. I guess Jason Phillips also did. Credit where it's due. Handsome fellow as well. Oh, and Burnett's. Yeah, I can't look at this anymore. The, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, like, those, yeah, I guess that, that year of teams was really just kind of like a loss. And they weren't even broke at that point. Oh, no. They just stunk. They spent a lot of money to do that, I think. Because they yeah, signed uh, Burnett's to a pretty big deal. Right, Glavin Alomar had to be making money. Glavin lost 14 games for that team. But he was getting paid extremely well for it. Benitez. Wow, that really actually puts things in perspective in a in a useful way. Because like that, that team was crummier than any of the teams that we've had to watch the last few years, and was not put together for any reason beyond the fact that the people that were doing it didn't know how to do their job. Yeah, they spent uh, they they spent more money on that 2003 team than they're spending this year. I don't. I wish you hadn't said that. 117 million, second most in baseball. Oh, that's delicious. It's really good. 117 million dollars. <laughs> Vance Wilson caught more games for that team than anybody else. Jason Phillips played more games at first base than anyone else. Yeah, it's not a. You, to look at that team, it's the only thing that would really occur to you is that maybe Eric Valente should have played more. It's like one of those teams. I think Jose Reyes. That I believe that was his first. First season, he got he played for a while and then got hurt, and then I believe they signed Matsui the next year and moved him to second or whatever. But there's like no other like I'm looking for a guy that like oh a promising prospect that looks like they came up in September. Look at like Marco Scudero. Yeah, who had like you know whatever five plate appearances. Who was also I 27. My mom cheering for him when we were watching a game at my house though. She called him Scoot, <laughs> which I liked. Yeah, the rest of it. Wow, I mean like. I talked myself into Jeff Duncan for sure. I guess Grant Roberts was probably like a top 100 guy at that point. Was he really? Yeah. He had already had the pop thing, though. That happened that year. I, I want to say that happened that year, yeah. But yeah, I mean... Oh, I, Pat Strange was, maybe... was a big prospect. Yeah, at least I had his, like, Tops Future Stars card. This team, actually, like, looking back at the roster now, though, I remember how, like, incredibly hopeless this was. Because there was a lot of old guys. The fact that Tom Clavin's brother got to get a bunch of plate appearances, like his like non-prospect minor league lifer brother, that he was just like, no, I think it would be neat if he got to play with me for a few weeks. 
Like, I'm glad that Matt Gla- Mike Glavin got to play. I'm glad he got his major league hit. Like, I think that's awesome. But just he wasn't bumping anybody that deserved that position more. No, it's and that that's is, not true. That is your issue right there. Wow. Yeah, that's. I mean, your kids are like Daniel Garcia and Prentice Redman. Yeah. I mean, like, there's not anybody that was, like, blocked by anybody else. Just looking at, like, all these different relief pitcher guys that they had. And, like, yeah. So 2015 them, will be better than that, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that, I guess I wonder to the extent that, you know, there's now, it's been going on 12 years since then. I don't know the team that stinks in this way could be built anymore. In this way, like I just, I, it doesn't seem like there's a team that's this backwards in baseball. The idea you go into the season with the assumption that like Jason Phillips starts at first base for you, and that like, I mean, obviously it wasn't supposed to be that Vance Wilson was going to do all the catching or whatever like that, but that it is like, all right, well, like Wigginton's our guy. We don't have a center fielder. Like, it's either Roger Cedeno or Jeremy Burnett's doing that corner outfield thing for us, and, like, that's we're cool with that. That's how we're going to do it. Like, Because it's not like they were good in 2002, either. Yeah. Like, the big move that they made was signing Glavin before that season, right? That yeah. Was, uh, so that's, that's your attempt to, like, to make up the difference. We won 75 games, but we think that Mo Vaughn is going to play a full season next year, and that the only thing that's really holding us back is we, we don't have a 37-year-old former Atlanta Brave guy atop our rotation to take Pedro Stasio's place. No. I guess this is instructive in the sense that it's always there's always been a time when it's been worse. There's always been worse mess seasons, yeah. <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd rather watch, like... A team of like youngish guys and like comparatively likable older players, you know, I, I could watch them win eighty games and probably be all right. I just it's I have to begin the process of talking myself into that now so that I'm like sufficiently limber by April. But yeah, I mean whatever. That's we gotta. I got nothing else. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. But yeah, also like I actually like most of the old guys on this team. That also helps. Like Kadir does card tricks. Like Curtis Anderson will be in the U.S. <laughs> Could I? That was like a lifetime. story for a week. That oh, Kadir does card tricks. <laughs> he did. So there's a video um, I put on the classical a million years ago of him doing card tricks when he was with the Twins, and he just blows Denard Span's mind so bad. Like when. Span was still like an innocent prospect susceptible to card tricks done by, you know, veteran players. And like, he's actually, I think he's kind of good. And like, I won't say that I have a discerning eye where magic is concerned. But like, if you have to sign like an injured guy that, like, sign one that does like dad magic, you know, like, that is, that is actually like a reasonable thing. Like, I'd rather that than like, Richard Hidalgo, whose like hobbies are like lifting weights and scowling or whatever, you know, like give me a doofus, like a guy that's consistently like producing quarters from behind the ears of bad boys. I'll take that. I want to see him go through maybe like a Chris Angel phase later in the season. That'd be kind of fun. 
if things get bad. Eyeliner. Yeah. <laughs> it would be really good if he like hit a double and then like stood at home plate and like spread his arms wide, <laughs> cruciform, and then just appeared at second base. Yeah. <laughs> like a sh- like a Shack burger. And Carlos Beltran sees that in the dugout and tells him to go appeal at first base. Yeah. It's <laughs> called out and the game's over. Yep. <laughs> not allowed. There's no rule that says you can't dematerialize <laughs> at second base. It only works in Air Bud 5 baseball magician. You gotta In actual baseball, there is a rule that says you do have to touch first base physically. That's a good point. Then on Twitter, everyone just makes like that so Mets jokes to lose in that yeah. fashion. Like, I was like, that's never. Like, that's actually like, I kind of want to know how he did that. That's like my main concern other than them losing the baseball game. It's a pretty good trick. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I think that that's well. I mean, a real magician never tells. Sure, yeah. Kadaya would rather lose extravagantly, having reappeared at second base with like a goblet of red wine. And tell you that he like you know that there's actually mirrors involved in the whole thing. It's complicated, but uh, like Mike Puma asked him a question in the press game conference. Post game conference isn't like he just turns him into a white tiger. <laughs> really, really good. Like this like, is better than anything that's going to happen in the 2015 season. If you get into this box <laughs> and allow my assistant John Mayberry Jr. to drive swords through. <laughs> I would watch the SNY post game if that started happening. Actually, yeah, for be way sure. more interesting. It would be like Jim Duquette and Siegfried and Gary Apple. I would watch. No, it would definitely be sure. like it would definitely be uh, Penn. <laughs> you know, I mean, Penn be... Gillette, absolutely no, because he's a. I don't really want to. I don't know that I necessarily need to see that. But yeah, I mean, it would be good. I just feel like in, if you're going to put Penn Gillette in your post-game show, then you should at least sign like Todd Coffee to be in your bullpen so they can hang out with each other. Yeah. Compare gravies. I think it's a good place to probably leave it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe 40 minutes ago. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a long off-season. We, we, uh, we really just could have stopped at Ron Howard, and I think it would have been fine. I feel like most people that are listening stopped at Ron Howard. <laughs> but yeah, we'll think of all the great Mets stuff that they missed. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for uh, having me. This was fun. Always a pleasure, Dave. We'll do it again. Thanks, you, Bye. Welcome back. It's time for your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 103. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at Facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue, or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. 
These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email from Matthew and is very simple. What happens first, Wednesday in the Premiership or Mets in the NLCS? Let's go Mets, up the owls. We're on Wednesday, aren't we? Etc. So this is a fun question for me. Um, since Sheffield Wednesday is sort of or Wednesday fans are living Mets fans' dreams right now who just got new ownership. Even though our, our previous owner is very, very well regarded by the fan base. Uh, Milan Mandarich, who's owned, I think, uh, Pompey and Leicester City in the past. But basically saved Sheffield Wednesday from receivership a few years ago. Stabilized them financially. Moved them up from League One to the championship. And now has handed them over to a Scion, I think as I mentioned, of a on the last week's show, of a Thai frozen foods group who has already sort of splashed the pot in the transfer market at the end of January, bringing in a uh, right back from Manchester United's youth side, uh, a well-regarded center midfielder from Watford who we had on loan earlier, is back on loan. We also bought a Bulgarian striker and a Portuguese midfielder. All right, I mean, it's well-diversified. And I think, you know, it's a, this is a mid-table team right now that needs uh, some help going forward, especially on the wings. They probably need a proven goal scorer at this level. You know, is, is Blackburn Rovers' Jordan Rhodes going to be available in the summer window? I don't know. I mean, they're, I think, 10 off the playoffs right now in 11th place. So it's sort of like a we're moving into the part of the season where it's like a consolidation year. You sort of want to evaluate what you have going forward. There's a few interesting names out of contract in the summer. And I would say the back four is fairly well set. There's some depth there. They have the best goalkeeper in the league. This is going to be are they going to be able to keep him from Premier League teams in the summer? But the championship's weird. It's, you know, teams that were in the playoffs last year, Brighton Hove and Albion. Wigan Athletic, they're fighting for fighting to stay up at this point. That's it's the just there's, there's no, so much there's, variance from year to year there. There's no risk of the Mets getting relegated, you know, to the to the minor leagues or anything like that. You know? Not a whole lot of risk of them making the NLCS either, though. No, it's true. Uh, I, I mean, I will say this. So in order to get promoted, they have to either they finish in one of the top two spots, they get automatic promotion. They finish one of the top six spots, specifically three through six. They go into the promotion playoffs. They really only need to be like a top 25 percentile team in the league to have a, a decent shot at getting promotion. True. Which is, you know, about, you know, the Mets have to be a top 33 percentile team, which is even a little bit lower. But then you have like the one game playoff, which is a little weird. And then you have to win another series to get into the NLCS. So I think there's a little bit balanced. It's a good question. Um, I would say... I'd be able to answer when I, if I had a better idea of what they're going to do over the summer. I, you, gotta, you, have to go, you have to go with the Mets in this scenario because the Mets have a chance at making the playoffs this year. Sheffield Wednesday does not have a chance of making... I mean, realistically, they're not going to make the, the top six. Right. right. No, that's, that, that's fair. But it's not just the Mets make the playoffs. Mets have to make the playoffs, win a one-game playoff, 
in all likelihood and win a five-game series. Right, but... With their starting pitching, are they better positioned to do that? I mean, what would you say are the Mets' playoff odds this year? One in ten? No. One in six? One in six? That seems low. Really? I I feel like, like... their playoff odds, like the like if right now today, probably like for the second wild card, like 30 percent. Really, you think it's a three and ten? There's a lot of teams in that range. Well, yeah, but it's only. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like six teams for two. Uh, let me see if Baseball Prospectus has like updated to their Pocota standings. Say they usually I have. Mean, I was looking at I was looking at their their projected standing. I mean, they have, and it's not just based on that, but they're they're in the range and. Mets would be one of the first teams out of the, of the second wild card, so, know, based on their projections. Looking right. at, I don't have the actual playoff odds in front of me, but they are right now projected to go 81 and 81 by Pakota, which would put them three games behind the Giants for the second wild card. Yeah. They also, but I mean, Miami's at 80 and 82. The Cubs are at 81 and 81. Pittsburgh's at 81 and 81. The Brewers are at 80 and 82. You know, there's a lot of teams in that general range. Yeah, yeah. Let me see what the playoff odds say. These have been updated, too. I'm going to guess it's going to be lower than 33%. I'm going to guess it's going to be higher than 10%. That's that's pretty low. I don't think this, I, is, I just, this has not I been think... updated since September 29th, 2014. So I don't think this is going to help me. I feel like on any given year, they have a 10% chance of making the playoffs. Well, I mean, I guess... All right, we'll say, we'll say we'll give them a 33% chance of making the second wild card. We'll assume they're a coin flip in the coin flip game. And, you know, no worse than in a short series, I'll even be kind, despite them probably having to burn their best starter. And I'll, I'll call them a 50% in a five-game series with that starting rotation. That's still an 8% shot. To make the NLCS this year, yeah, the odds the odds do go down <laughs> quite significantly when you say that they have to get the NLCS. Yes, right, but they're not going to be th- that much better than that in 2016 or 2017, I think. And that's when it starts to get you know if they have an eight percent shot this year, maybe it goes up a little bit with some uh, improvement, internal improvements. Hey, but with that same math. You know, Sheffield Wednesday needs to win two playoff games themselves if they make the top six. That's correct. No, so. that's not incorrect. They have a home and home and then a game at Wembley. So. But I don't. I I might lean Wednesday just because you can do some damage in the championship quickly with a few key signings. Yeah, I guess. I, guess, I don't know the. I guess you. Can... The league's very competitive up and down, so it doesn't. You know, take much. They're already well organized at the back. They have a, a, a good, you know, sort of coach, field general, and Stuart Gray, I think. Um, there's certainly be more pressure on them if they do spend money, and Gray specifically in this transfer window in the summer. But, you know, and it's tough. You're still competing against teams that have been in the Premier League more recently and you know, are coming down, have the balloon payments, and they have the loss of uh, TV revenue. So I'm not saying it's easy, but, you know, they, uh, them this year don't feel that 
different to me than Bournemouth last year, and Bournemouth's leading the league right now. You know, they basically added, Bournemouth basically added a, a proven goal scorer in, uh, in Callum Wilson, and they shored up, they have sort of a, like a young hotshot coach in Eddie Howe, manager in Eddie Howe, and stuff's going right for them. It doesn't take a ton. I might, I might lean Wednesday. I might be talking myself into that. I don't know. I'm, I'm just more optimistic about them now. That might change, you know, on May first. Yeah, I'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out, right? Our next email is from Mike, one of our many Mikes. Dear Jeff and friends, I actually have a question about Sliders, the TV show. Uh, hearkening back to last week's question about Sliders, it was not about the TV show. Given that it opened our minds to the possibilities that infinite alternate realities provide, did it really? Did it really do that? I like that show. I did too, actually, but it was a little weird. It was. I feel like it was a little bit too much just like, you know, alternate history kind of stuff. It must have been fun writing for that show. But I guess there was that one sort of, the one sort of overarching storyline with the alternate reality where apes had evolved into like, it was really like ripping off Planet of the Apes. They were like sliding apes. Apes that also had sliding technology. I'm not making this up. I remember this I, happening. I actually don't remember that. But it's it's about the time they replaced Jerry O'Connell with his brother on the show, who was like a clone, I think. Okay. I guess I didn't watch the show as long as I thought I had. I actually still watched it a little bit when it was on Sci-Fi, I think. After it left, I think it was on Fox originally, ABC. I don't remember. I think Fox. I think Fox. It feels like it would have been like a Fox Friday night series before X-Files in the late 90s. That's even if it actually right, wasn't. That, that probably... That, that, that sounds like something it could have been because I was a big X-Files fan too. Given that it opened... We'll, we'll, okay, we'll go with you, Mike. Given that it opened our minds to the possibilities that infinite alternate realities provide, what is your sliders Mets alternate reality? Mine is, for example, what if A-Rod had signed with the Mets in 2001? With the Mets have won the World Series in 2001 on the broad, capable backs of Piazza, A-Rod, and Apier. Well, one of two of the one of those things is not like the other. Like, Kevin Apier was good that season, as I recall. Now, I know he's a highly underrated pitcher in general, but I feel like he, Kevin Apier, was good for the Mets at least one of those years. He was good. I mean, relative to everything, I mean, he's 200 innings and he had a 3.57 ERA in that Which, era. Which, as we already covered, is uh, very good. Phenomenal. Yeah. He was worth, uh, I can look this up quickly. See, I'm always on fan graphs. You're always on baseball reference. That's fine. I'm also looking at his batting numbers for some reason. Uh, he was like a three and a half win pitcher that year. Not too shabby at all. What about this universe would be different? Would the sky be blue? Would robot Eric Simon be programmed for love, war, or hashtag hot takes? Thanks for letting me waste your time for a change, Mike. All right, I have a I have a reasonable one and a fun one. Okay. My reasonable one is the Mets never trade Scott Casimir, mm. and they make the playoffs in two thousand seven and two thousand eight because Scott Casimir was better than David Lawrence and Jorge Sosa and any number of other pitchers the Mets used in two thousand seven and two thousand eight. That's not bad. That's not bad. I, I mean, if, if 
they had A-Rod at that time, that could have easily bridged the gap between, you know, Reyes being ready and, and Wright being ready. And maybe maybe it moved, uh, maybe it would have moved Reyes over to second. And they would have traded Wright for uh, Jose Cruz Jr. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably what would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Or they could have kept them all, and and maybe Scott Steve Phillips is still a GM to this day. <laughs> And and the whole well, they still probably would have had the Madoff thing, so can't buy step, can't sidestep that thing. So, Alex Here's Rodriguez me. from two thousand, we'll go from two thousand one to two thousand eight. Oh, this is this is going to be depressing. Was worth approximately sixty-three stupid, wins. Stupid. stupid. Uh, here's his. Here's his wins above replacement by year from two thousand one to two thousand eight. Eight point three. Eight point eight. Eight point four. Seven point six. Nine point four. Four point five. Nine point four. Six point eight. So he would have, I think, five of the eight best seasons in Mets history. C. Phillips got a bad vibe from him, so you know. Is that the story? Yeah, something like that. He was gonna he was gonna ruin the clubhouse, which you know with like Roger Cedeno and Mike Stanton and that would have been bunch of it. lovable bunch of lovable losers that group. Derek Bell operation shut down. Yeah, this is a fun one until you actually start thinking about it. <laughs> My sort of more out there, uh, you know, one that yeah, maybe wouldn't have made as much of a difference. Maybe it would have. Uh, I like Vlad Guerrero coming here instead of going to the Angels and being like remembered uh, as one of the best player, best players in Mets history. That's a good one. Because, I mean, Vlad's, for starters, more fun to root for than A-Rod, even though A-Rod was a better player. Well, he was going to come. He, they had him on, like, a, like, didn't they, weren't they going to get him for, like, a three-year deal or something, uh, if I remember correctly? But, like, he had, he had concerns about his back. Yeah, Steve Phillips had concerns about his back. All of these come back to Steve Phillips is not a very good GM. And we know that because he's not got another job in baseball, despite presiding over a team that you know, went to the World Series. Made the playoffs back-to-back years. Yeah. Our next email is from Joe Z. Jeffrey, and I guess that it's co-host Greg. It is. Good guess. Now that we have Pakoda and Zips projections, who are your gut feels for who will exceed them, get this team to 89 wins? And who is shaky to push them back into the 70s? Seems like you're clearly skeptical of the Flores projection as well as the bullpen. But since this is a statistical analysis for a baseline, take your stats hat off, put on some good old-fashioned gut feel, and trust your eyes to predict who will exceed or not. Mine, I like Darno, Cologne, Kadire, Ligaris, offensively, Flores, offensively, and Wheeler on the over, and Murphy, hashtag sorry Mets police. You don't need to apologize. Nice, Familia, Flores, defensively, and Duda on the under. I'd list reasons, but the listeners would rather hear your take than mine. So, I mean, yeah, the problem with this kind of stuff is 
there's always going to be guys that are over and guys that are going to be under. That's why on a large sample of like a whole team, Zips is going to be more accurate than me. Um, Come on, we know this. We know this. But let's, yes. let's drill down. But as I mentioned at the outset of the show, I've been saying some kind of ridiculous things about Dilson Herrera in mixed company recently. Um, I don't know if it'll happen this year. And actually, I think Zips liked him a decent amount. Had him as close to a league average player. A lot of that was, you know, positional adjustment and defense over him hitting a ton. Um, yeah, Zips. I mean, Zips didn't even have him having a three hundred on base. Yeah, I mean, Degrom's the easy pick here because all the projection systems are regressing him based on his minor league numbers. Right. And while I think he won't be as good, I think he'll throw more innings and be better in those innings than any of them are projecting him for. Yeah. I mean, even if he's like, you know, a 3.4 ERA guy in 180 to 190 innings, that'll put him way above any of the projection systems just on the counting stats. Actually, DeGrom, Zips loves DeGrom, actually. They got him at a 3.21 FIP, 3.3 ERA. Yeah, I just said 3.4. I mean, they like him a little more than me, fine, but... I mean, that's. I was going to take, you know, say that he could outperform at least based on zips, but that's a pretty solid projection. Pakoda didn't like him at all. I think they had him in like the high threes, low fours. Yeah, and and that, that's just like you said. Just you know, they don't see that the guy is taking a leap forward. I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, all probably... these yeah, all these systems use. I mean, Pakoda uses height and weight uh, for comparables, date of birth. Yeah, um, and on all of them, especially when it comes to or it's projecting the Mets. Use probably slightly different proprietary major league equivalencies for converting minor league numbers, which when you're talking about this Mets team is still gonna is gonna give you a, a wider variance since there's so many players that have recent minor league performance in their track record in the last three years or so. Yeah, look for a guy for me, I think uh, a guy jumps out at me is David Wright. I just I, I'm definitely. I think he's he's capable of outperforming that project all the projections just based on him potentially staying healthy this year and i think that at least on a rate stat basis that the fact that he's probably going to be healthy this year and i think he can outperform a 275 346 422 triple slash um if he is healthy and by by a good deal i think too i think since i put him ahead of jacob de and my trade value piece. I kind of got a bet on a Zach Wheeler breakout this season now. I'm kind of pot committed, so I'll go with a Zach Wheeler breakout season. Or a breakout, but you know, he'll be worth three to four wins by your favorite war metric. That's not bad. Hey, just for, just for fun, uh, going, circling back to DeGrom, that's actually a pretty solid projection on him. I was looking back at Matt Harvey, right? So going into... 2013 so after he comes up and pitches for like a few months yeah so then and he, and he pitched pretty well uh, maybe a little bit higher walk rate than, than you would have liked but the project uh, zips had him at three uh, 3.8 era going that year so like you know there's not they, it's not you know it's not able to perceive everything i'm gonna say that's a function of him having of him having fewer major league innings to wait than degrom at least in part Sure, sure, but I feel like that was a conservative. I mean, that's conservative back then. I mean, because he had a really good year that year. The year I mean, prior, I mean. 
And we wrap up with an email from Farouk. Gents, I'm probably jumping the gun here, but if I'm not mistaken, Ari Dickey will be a free agent next year. I meant to look this up when this email came in, and I did not. I didn't remember if he has another team option year or what, so I'm going to look this up quickly. But I'll continue reading the email. What do you think about bringing Dickey back for next season? I understand his numbers have fallen off a bit in Toronto, but it seems that there's value in a guy who has a lower injury risk and can deliver a very different look from the team's stable of young flamethrowers. It doesn't hurt that he's a fan favorite. Dylan G, John Neese, and Bartolo Colon all have significant injury histories and not like they have a future with the team. Harvey DeGrom and Matt's all have had significant injury issues in their recent past as well. What do you think? Thanks as always for the podcast, Farouk. I may quibble with Matt's and DeGrom saying recent past at this point. So we're talking like 2010 now. I think we're talking five years removed from any sort of serious injury concern. Dickie has an option. He does have an option. Yeah. I mean, it's for a non-insignificant amount of money. Yeah. Or a significant million. amount of money, if you prefer. It's a $12 million option, $1 million buyout. Yeah. But for a guy that's been a durable league average pitcher the last two years, once you adjust for the fact that he's in the Sky Dome in the AL East, that, that gets picked up, I think. I think so, too. But let's play a hypothetical. Sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like you get put in this spot because we're... What's the word looking for? Romantics? Nostalgic? It's like we're... There's a... Romantic's not the quite the right term. But we're uh, nostalgic. We're... You know, we're emotionally attached to these guys. Yeah, these are the guys There's a reason who's... Chris McShane t- cheated on his AAOP and traded for Jose Reyes. You know, there's yeah, a reason we... we talked about on the show repeatedly about bringing back Carlos Beltran. We know these guys. We like yeah, these guys. Yes. And, you know, you have to have some emotional distance. Do I think Dickie will be better in City Field than he is in, you know, the Rogers Center? And does the specifics of that state, even beyond just a simple league and park adjustment... Yeah, I think that's a, a reasonable point of view to hold. I mean, he's also, you know, was his age 35 to 37 season with the Mets. He's going to be 40 this year. Which, yes, he's a knuckleballer, but that's not, you know, he's still old. Now, you would hope that the, the front office would be a little more... Uh, even-handed about that kind of stuff and really not have it come in as a factor when evaluating who to add if they decide they need a veteran starter. I would just like to hope that the Mets don't need another starter um, to pick up, you know, for like a veteran next year. Uh, I would hope that they have that kind of settled from within. Yeah, and certainly not a veteran you're going to be counting on 200 innings from. Yeah. So as much as I would like to see him pitch again, I'm going to have to uh, say I would not like to. I would. I wouldn't bring him back. I would absolutely bring him back. So sorry, Dickie. <laughs> I mean, I, you have to wonder even if he'll you know come back at this point. Hey, they they, they, they leave on, on the, the they don't leave on the best of the best of terms, and you know he's now. 
gotten what likely will be his one big contract. So if he decides to, you know, maybe he wants to play out the string, take a two-year deal with a with a team closer to his his home in Tennessee. You know, sign with the, the Orioles or the Nats or the, oh God forbid, the Braves. You know, the Reds, Indians, someone like that. It's tough for some of these free agents when they leave. I mean, they did the same thing to Beltran, you know? Who knows if he would ever wanted to come back because of the way that they treated him Yeah. towards the end. It certainly didn't sound like it was his preference uh, going yeah. in the past offseason. Yeah. I mean, you know, if they'd given him a three-year deal for more money than the Yankees, they would have taken it, you know, maybe. I mean, that's what happened before, essentially, yeah. <laughs> how they got him the first time. But, I mean, yes, I want to build a team in my head with Dickey and Beltran and Reyes and Wright because I have fond memories of all those players playing together in a lot of cases. Um, that's what, like, you know, what if sports is for, I guess, or Strat. I'm thinking about getting into Stratomatic. It's probably a bad idea. Probably. Going to eat up too much time. If I could bring back one Met. That's still playing and still good. It would definitely be Jose Reyes by by just by a lot. Miss him. Shortstop. There's your shortstop avenue audio for the week. That's all you there get. There you go. <laughs> That's it. We're done. We're also done with your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And that's it. I will encourage you. Our prospect list has started to drop at Amazing Avenue proper. I imagine that will go for the length of this week out into next week we will do a prospect list podcast as we do every year uh maybe end of next week or the week after depending on how long rob decides to drag these pieces out judging by our uh sort of our internal posting board it's going to be a while yeah it's got a lot of posts in the queue a lot of posts in the queue we also have our spring training preview because pitchers and catchers report um, in a week that's the thing that happens yeah matt, matt harvey showed up today he's there pitcher Monday. fielding practice man there's photos of pitchers covering first base at like one third speed baseball is almost here as we get snowed in every day this week but it's getting close real i got i got excited live baseball so we'll almost have like real things to talk about instead of just players that aren't Mets. It's like this entire show is basically players that aren't Mets. Or players that aren't Mets but may have been Mets in alternate universes. And second division soccer. Second division soccer, yeah. yeah. Werner Herzog movies. Yeah. I should look up. There's a few. I actually. What should. was that called again? <laughs> Little Dieter learns to fly. And I don't know. He shot. He shot a fictional version of that, but I think it has a different name. And that was like okay, but you don't want to watch that first. No, no it was Rescue it. Dawn. Rescue Dawn was the. Uh... Oh, that's the one with Christian Bale. Yes, uh, I've I heard prefer... really, really good things about Bad Lieutenant, Port of Carl, New Orleans. I don't know if that should be your entry point. Tavander Herzog. I prefer things in which he's like speaking. Um, 
Well, I mean, he narrates Grizzly Man. He narrates Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Uh, Lessons of Darkness he narrates, which is just, it's kind of awesome to watch. I mean, it's very much more on the art film side of things. Cause it's just him narrating over, like, photos of Iraqi oil fields from the first Gulf War on fire. But it's very pretty. It's very well shot. Um, I know... I don't think it was Criterion. Maybe it was their Eclipse series? Somebody just released, like, a giant box set of, like, lesser... Werner Herzog films? Or Shout Factory. Okay. That makes sense. Released a, a 13-disc Blu-ray set with 16 films on it. Well. I'm going to see what it has. Only 120 bucks. Not bad. Yeah, it's a lot of, like... So, yeah, you get Fitzcarraldo. You get a lot of his, uh... Klaus Kinski uh, films. Yeah, I'm not going to that. You get Nosferatu, you get Aguirre, that. Wrath of God, you get Casper Hauer, um, you get Little Dieter Needs to Fly, you get Lessons of Dark. It's actually a pretty good set. If you were going to start anywhere, I would say spend $120. $120. I <laughs> get Herzog the Collection from Shout Factory. I mean, that covers your basics, certainly. Yeah, I'll consider it. He even has his, uh, technically it's not his first feature, but his first, his first feature that anyone actually saw, which is even Dwarf started small, which was, as I recall, I haven't seen it in, in forever. It's like a bunch of, um, Oh, here it is. Okay, the plot summary. The inhabitants of an institution in a remote country rebel against their keepers. Their acts of rebellion are by terms, turns humorous, boring, and alarming. An allegory on the problematic nature of fully liberating the human spirit as both commendable and disturbing elements of our nature come forward. The film shows how justifiable re revolt may be empowering, but may also turn to chaos and depravity. The allegory is developed in part by the fact that the film is cast entirely with dwarves. And that's Werner Herzog in a nutshell, really. So, yeah, there was a GIF. Um, there was a GIF that I saw on like Fangraphs or something, and it was. Oh, uh, it's probably from Carson. Carson loves him, so. Yeah, and he was narrating. Yeah, yeah, he did a bunch of those where it's just GIFs narrated by uh, Werner Herzog. <laughs> those cracked me up. I will actually. Uh... There's something popping around on my. Yeah, Facebook page from some of my filmmaking friends from back in the day. Here it is. Werner Herzog offers 25... It's what we'll leave you with this week. Sort of an uplifting note. Werner Herzog offers 24 pieces of filmmaking and life advice. One, always take the initiative. Two, there is nothing wrong with spending a night in jail if it means getting the shot you need. Three, send out all your dogs and one might return with prey. Four, never wallow in your troubles. Despair must be kept private and brief. Five, live to learn, with, learn to live with your mistakes. Six, expand your knowledge and understanding of music and literature, old and modern. Seven, 
that roll of unexposed celluloid you have in your hand might be the last in existence, so do something impressive with it. 8. There's never an excuse not to finish a film. 9. Carry bolt cutters everywhere. 10. Thwart institutional cowardice. 11. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. 12. Take your fate into your own hands. 13. Learn to read the inner essence of a landscape. 14. Ignite the fire within and explore unknown territory. 15. Walk straight ahead, never detour. 16. Maneuver and mislead, but always deliver. 17. Don't be fearful of rejection. 18. Develop your own voice. 19. Day one is the point of no return. 20. A badge of honor is to fail a film theory class. 21. Chance is the lifeblood of cinema. 22. Guerrilla tactics are best. 23. Take revenge if need be. 24. Get used to the bear behind you. You'll be great fun at the Amazing Avenue Regional Gathering here, I'm pretty sure. And with that, bit of life advice. Certainly better than always wear sunscreen. We'll wrap things up on episode 103 of Amazing Avenue Audio. We'll see you next week. <laughs>